we need disruptors, you know, who come in and say like, well, we were doing it this way. No, we're going to do it totally different than that. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I'm Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined here with my co-host, Dave, the teacher of teachers, Van Bickle. How are we doing, Dave? The teacher of teachers. I love yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Ah, I'm good. I'm good. It's like the apostle to the apostles. Exactly. Exactly. Mary Magdalene. So I wanted to do three things with you today, Dave. Uh, you know, last week, uh, last week's show, I got to uh, answer Linnea's question from Sweden, who has 30 different cultures, languages, all sorts of different <laughs> issues, no money. Uh, no young people. What do we do? What do we build? And I basically said, ignore trying to build stuff at the parish and just go out and evangelize, build up a little tiny radical community and really focus on repentance, evangelization, reception of Holy Communion and evangelizing. And that's how you're going to build the parish. Uh, so I was wondering, Dave, what advice? Because we were both talking about this for like two weeks uh, and yeah. you couldn't join us last time. So what would be some of your advice that you would give uh, to her along those lines. So, so this is like a perfect, this is a perfect example of why you're, we're, we're good together. I think mm -hmm. because you are one of those out of the box thinkers. Whereas I, I literally like the parish construct was my box <laughs> and I, it's more of a prison. <laughs> I cannot get out of it. So my, so my suggestion was, um, my suggestion would be, uh, I'd find someone from every language and I would focus on those people. Mm. And I would raise up leaders from every language uh, and get them to the point that I trust them. And then I would start the programming there because I mean that that it is one of the most unique situations. Like I wish I could consult with that parish because I I think like it, it's going to be it's kind of going to be like a new Christian situation if she gets it on fire. You know what I mean? If if like the Holy Spirit just lights that place up. It'll be like Pentecost, you know, all these different languages and peoples and 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 everything like that. So I I would really focus on I would literally start recruiting people from, you know, whatever the main languages are, and I would start working with them: Bible studies, catechism studies, prayer, teaching them to pray, teaching them the faith, all those kinds of things. Um, you know, I, I I really do think that that is. Um, probably where I would start. But I love your suggestion of staying, you know, just forget about the parish and just start evangelizing, start a Christian community there. Yeah, I think one of the big problems when we think of evangelization or we think of like literally anything in our lives, it becomes very easy to get hemmed into the constraints that are artificially there. Like, you know, and, and sometimes breakthroughs come not when you're trying to find the best answers, but when you start asking different questions. And that sounds super cliche. And I get that that sounds super cliche, but it's very true, right? Like, uh, I'm trying to think about in my own life. Okay, here's here's an example in my own life that I I was just sharing this with my wife. So this is one of those things where I'm being a channel and not a reservoir. From my own life, I I've been watching. So I'm trying to lose weight, right? And I'm I'm a chubby McChubberson. I'm trying to get that under control because I know I can't keep up with my kids, and I want to be able to do that. That's my motivation. Uh, and I want to get that bikini body. Am I right up top? Uh, but, but so I'm doing Exodus 90 and I realized that last time I did Exodus 90, I did not do the mandatory three days of intense exercise. And so now I am, I'm doing the diet, doing the exercise and I feel good. Here's the insight that I got. 
Uh, so uh, the only thing I watch on YouTube are things that are related to diet, health, fitness, uh, including building my home gym, the Clubber Lang Junior School for Seminarians. Uh, and so, <laughs> so this is the uh, gosh, I do such a preamble. The word is maintenance. The word is maintenance, and I mean that not in the are you on mission or maintenance. So often, I think in the past, uh, like when you buy a home, you just want to have a nice home. You want to buy the home. You don't want there to be problems, but you have to do maintenance, right? You have to do the things to keep the thing running. You got to be vigilant about these things. Everything worth having takes effort to keep it going. Intentionality, whatever words you want to use. And I started thinking about that in terms of my own like diet, weight loss, like I have overindulged in the sugary substances and the lack of movement my whole life. So my maintenance is going to be totally different than what other people. And I started to think about this in my spiritual life. And deep down, I, I realized like that notion of maintenance, like I want to get to a plateau. I want to get to the mountain peak and then I'm done. And it's like, no, right. That's where right. you begin. And I'm like, dang it. Right. I'm treating weight loss. Like I'm treating conf like students treat confirmation. I'm done. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, isn't that funny? I mean, that's a that was a big thing for me with like just intellectually mm. that I learned for tasks. Yeah. yeah. And I was terrible at the tasks. It wasn't until I just learned for, to learn. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I'd brush up when tasks came along, you know? I you know, I, that was exactly the way it was for me. Yeah, and so, so the, my insights are like along the lines of like it was a new way to look at an old problem, not like what diet should I do? What weight, what fitness program should I do? But it was like, have I embraced the idea that my maintenance after I hit the goals is going to look totally different than other people's? Like my buddy can right. work out three days a week and he is ripped, jacked, all the other words. Uh, I hate people. Like that. <laughs> I just, I hate him. I don't even know. I, I just don't like him. <laughs> and it's funny because I, I went to a men's group meeting last night and all uh, half the guys do CrossFit, right? So they're all sitting there and I'm like, yeah, you can do, you can do a one hour workout three times a week. And meanwhile, I'm like sweating to the oldies, barely able to move. I have to go beyond it because my, uh, you know, because I didn't do the maintenance when I was growing up. So I just think it's funny. Like you have an insight that forces you to think outside the box and, and push away conventional thinking because conventional thinking is a trap. Sometimes it prevents us from seeing reality. And, uh, sure. and so when we look at this stuff with the Catholic church, I, I made the comment, I quoted, you remember that, uh, heretic Bishop, Bishop Spong, He's like an Anglican. Sure, yeah. Yeah, sure. He, yeah. of course. Sure. He has the title of a book called Why the Church Must Change or Die. And he, <laughs> I don't know why that title stuck in my head. But his thing was changing the creed. My thing is yeah. what Pope Francis said, right? Change our schedules, our practices. You know, like right. change the things because our, our neighbor matters, right? And we don't act like our neighbor matters. And so that's, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what other insights would be helpful for Linnea in such a crazy circumstance right uh do you have anything yeah. else no but now you've got me like fired up on the topic i know i know of the, you know like i mean i think that that's i think that that's the way like one of the beautiful things about the way god works right is that there is the institutional structure of the church and there's even like the culture which we could argue has like swayed yeah but like that's what you know like entrepreneurs or marketers they call them disruptors like we need disruptors you know who come in and say like well we were doing it this way no we're going to do it totally different than that 
But we also need the other people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they got to talk to each other. So yeah. We need anyways. the leaders and the followers and we need to see how they connect because you can't have a movement without followers. Right. And, yeah. we, you know, right. one of the funny things about disruption. So there's a book called The Innovator's Dilemma. And that was uh, Clay, yeah, oh yeah. Harvard Business uh, School's Clay Christensen. It was his kind of master thesis on how do industries get disrupted? And it was fascinating because, you know, the Steve Jobs famously said, this is the only business book I've ever read. And he loved it. But the kind of the core thesis is businesses that are established can get overthrown because they don't look at the cheap low end stuff. And those people become good enough at the cheap low end in their competition. And they, they're fine. Yeah, you can have the 3% of our cheapest, crappiest market. But then those people then begin rapidly building skills and then they overtake the big boys. And um, it's funny because then there was an article written in some, uh, I think it was like the Journal of Religious Studies, which said the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism on disruption. And the whole premise was the Catholic Church disrupts itself, and it uses all business terms, disrupts itself by incubating entrepreneurs and calling them religious orders. So it creates <laughs> right. So like the movements. That's right? awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Is I awesome. love that view right. because I thought, okay, so this is what they do. They so Clay Christensen sat down with Intel and they all read the book and the and the C level executives and they said, how does this apply to us? And so he ran through the principles and they invented the Celeron line because all their competition were coming at the bottom of the market. So they started at the bottom of the market. Other companies will literally start businesses in order to eventually overtake the mother company business, right? right? FreshBooks famously did that. Other other examples, you can tell we're like business nerds here. Uh, but the idea was, he said, what the Catholic Church does is it takes this new energy, new excitement. It's weary at first. The institutional church is always weary of movements, like Francis of Assisi, right? Like Because Francis right. and Dominic were responding to people like um, – the people's poor of South France and the Waldensians and all this stuff in Northern Italy. Right. And they, they were like, okay, we're going to do the faithful Catholic thing, but in this radically disruptive way. And that's where the fruit comes in. I mean, just think about the charismatic renewal, the largest lay movement exactly. in that's the exactly history of the church. Yeah. So how, how would you say the charismatic renewal was disruptive? Well, they, they largely had to find a home outside of parish or institutional church life, which was not good for some in some cases, yeah. but it also allowed them to flourish in ways that they wouldn't have been allowed to flourish, mm. you know? Yeah. And so, like, you know, a lot of them formed Christian communities, which I think for a lot of people, like, it, it went south a little bit, but, like, I grew up in a Catholic Christian charismatic community, and it wasn't weird at all. It was amazing. The best Christians I ever met in my life, yeah. you know? And, uh it was incredible, and 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 it made me love the church more. It, it wasn't anything but that, you know. But it was. I, I remember specifically there was one leader in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal who was like my hero. Mm -hmm. His name was Bobby Kavnar, and I remember him saying he was telling me the story of he was at a meeting when like the Charismatic Renewal was just booming. I mean, millions of people were like starting to, you know, go to the retreats and conferences and stuff like that. And he sat down with leaders, and I guess, I don't know if it was him or Father Mike Scanlon or who said it, but somebody said at this meeting, like, hey, don't you think we ought to go to Rome and talk to the church about this? Like, we shouldn't be doing this on our own. And I think that's the example I'm trying to point out is that, like, you need the disruptors, and then you need the people who come back and say, okay, we, we also need the, the institutional part. We also need 
that. And and I think when you were talking, I was thinking the charismatic renewal is such a perfect example of this because it's ex- almost exactly what happened, right? And uh, for me and for many millions of people, the renewal brought us comp- like deeper into the heart of the church, which is what renewal movements are supposed to do, right? Yeah, you know, so yeah, and you just see these different elements of the church break open. Right. And, uh, and there, you know, it's like, I like using economic terms because the Bible uses, or the New Testament especially, uses a lot of economic terms. I mean, like grace and stuff. These are all economic terms, ransom, debt. Um, but the, the, the idea of like, you have this thing of a hostile takeover by investors, right? You have this guy who breaks up companies (laughs) and sells off pieces of it. Why does he do that? Because the company themselves, like, let's say Apple had a disruptor and they did, they had this guy named, um, what was his name? Carl Icahn, who wanted to yeah. break up different components of Apple because inside Apple is this business called iTunes. And if iTunes was a standalone business, it would be in the Fortune 100 or maybe even the Fortune right. 50. But it's just a subpart of Apple. So the funny thing was there's like these latent things within organizations that could be amazing if they broke free of certain aspects. But as Catholics, right, we preserve tradition. Right. It's hard to be a traditionalist innovator. <laughs> right. Like the, those two things. Well, yeah, because culture comes with institution. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a culture there. There's no question. It, it, did you ever read the book Dinosaur Brains? No, no, no. Anyways, it's it's funny because I mean, every church worker should read it because cultural change in business. If you think cultural change in business is slow, you think cultural change in politics is slow. You've never seen slow until you've seen cultural change in the church, you know, because it basically has to come through the seminaries, you know, and yeah. so se- and seminaries change over years and years and years. Yeah. But anyways, it's this is it's a good discussion. I think I I you know honestly I, the reason why people are probably saying right now like why are they talking about this? But in all honesty, when I first started evangelizing, I was a kid, you know, and no one would have included me in the in the institutional efforts of evangelization no one there were some weird priests like wacky holy priests who recognized that it you know there was some fire there or some desire but no one would have included me in that so for me i had to be a disruptor an outsider in a sense you know and and then when i look at just the not just the resources, but the the reach of the institutional church. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm evangelized on my own. If I can do this within the parish setting, like this is going to be amazing, you know. And and that's kind of the trajectory for me. Yeah, and so I I would just invite our listeners. Like, you might feel hemmed in in a box, right? Like, I'm a layperson. I'm a priest. I can't do that. I'm a deacon. I can't say that. We have to begin to look at the problem of a dying church from different angles, because I feel like we just keep applying the same methods and we keep asking the same questions. The number one question I hear is how can we get more people in mass? And again, I don't think that's the right question at all because it's presuming that they already have faith. It's presuming that this stuff matters, that they even get what the sacraments are. And the more time I spend with people, the more I realize like they are way outside what the church would even come close to saying as a Christian. Okay, let me let me give you a for instance. Right. I'm teaching, uh, I'm filling in for a teacher who had to get a medical procedure and she's going through several weeks of healing. So I was last minute confirmation, I filled in that day, right? And I've been teaching these kids. 15, 16 kids in the class, 
all high school sophomores. They've had at least four years of faith formation behind them. Only two kids, one of whom was a Catholic school kid, only two kids have ever heard of Moses, the Ten Commandments, the plagues. They had never even heard of it. Okay. They never even heard. They have never read Genesis chapter one or two. Right. So I'm sitting here trying to go. Yeah. I mean, I, to prove your point, I mean, just, you know, like that's not just this isn't an anecdote. Yeah. This is everywhere in America, no matter what you say. You know, when I came into my parish, my first parish, and I and I was trying to express to the teachers how how worthless normal CCD had become yeah. and how they have to change their model. They for for a year they would not believe me. I mean, they they pushed back, they argued, they just thought they that it was more effective. And finally, I had to show them the the outgoing eighth grade tests. And and show them how abysmal it was. Wow. So these kids have been in, you know, and they're and they're and they're getting things wrong, like who are the three persons of the Trinity, things yeah. like that, after years of CCD. So I, I mean, it's it's not just where you are; it's everywhere. Yeah. And one of the things that I asked the kids, so I'm trying to approach it with a survey, like get a taste for where they're coming from, right? Like uh, knowledge, right? Based. Okay. And so my okay. questions on okay. day one. Good luck. Yeah, I know, right? So this is a compressed year. We have to do a confirmation year in less than a semester, right? So it's br- rough. Like COVID really ruined us. So we wrote our own lesson plans. We began to formulate it. And day one is basically who is God? What is the Trinity, right? And so we start talking about it. And I said, if if someone had never heard the word God, ever, like an alien came up to you. How would you describe God? What would you say if they said what or who is God? <laughs> crickets, hundred percent crickets. The the most oh yeah the, the best answer I got was eventually all powerful. Right? Okay, there's an attribute, but literally they would say yeah, things like close, right? uh, light and stuff, and it, it became word association. I was like, give me something. Like I don't even care about complete sentences anymore. Like just grunt or something. Like, right? But they right. had no like, answer. Good love. Yeah. Like person. faith. Right. One person said faith, hope, and love, and I was like, oh, the theological virtues. And they said, what's that? Uh, another girl go in the <laughs> yeah. front row. I'll never. She go, She started to do the sign of the cross. She goes, is that like the um the father, the child? And the oh holy, and I go, over. and I point at her, I go, yes, yes, yes. What's that? And she goes, oh God, I don't know. And I just started laughing. I'm like, oh God, I don't know what the sign of the cross is. They had no right, idea. Right. So let me tell you, bishops, priests, deacons, DREs, <laughs> you have failed. Parents, yeah. <laughs> you have failed. If these Even are the attitudes, early, right? yeah, Catholic schools, you have failed. If this is what we're producing, a hundred percent across the board. I've told the story before, where the woman came up to my wife. The woman had a special needs son who who couldn't really fit in a classroom, and so you tried to do what you could. But you were try- they were trying to normalize her or whatever they call it, you know. And uh, so we're working with it, but our teachers are just parent volunteers. And I vol- I substituted in a class, and it was really difficult because I didn't have any skills to deal with a kid who was who couldn't who was nonverbal, right? And so they right, said right. mostly nonverbal. And um, the mother came up to my wife and was like, "What the you know H is your problem? You're not teaching my kid anything. Last year he knew the Our Father, and now he doesn't know the Our Father. What are you doing in this class?" My wife just looked at her, put her hand on her shoulder, and said, "I'm so sorry to hear you don't pray in your home." Right. Like 
That's the reality. That's the reality. Uh, I, I led 120 high school students on Sunday in the Our Father. I would say maybe 15 knew it. And I said, I want you, if you didn't yeah. know that prayer, I was like, maybe you just didn't feel comfortable praying, whatever. I said, if you don't know that prayer, I want you to go home and smack your parents. <laughs> Jokingly, yeah. I said that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm really like, I, 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 I guess I keep surrounding myself with people who know in order to get ministry done. Like they know nothing. Yeah. They know not. They know less than the new atheists that we argue with. Right. Well, yeah. In a, in a certain sense, we're back with like um, when they were evangelizing the Native Americans. Yeah. Like that's how we literally need to start there with like taking their own songs. And like, you know, see this iPod that you worship? <laughs> there is a God, right? That, and it can actually be worshiped, you know? That kind of thing, and I just said iPod, so that puts me right. Yeah, out of wow! I was like iPod. But, what? Yeah. Well, that's what, well, that's what we bought. So my son Sam, that's been the big thing in our family. We finally gave in. Well, we didn't give in, but <laughs> instead of getting him an iPhone, uh -huh. I decided it was time we got him an iPod, which is hard to buy yeah. because they're yeah. they're so old. But uh, you know, my friends are making fun of me because they said that I presented it to him like it was the One Ring to rule them all, <laughs> and I was like Sam. This comes with great <laughs> power, but also great evil. Keep it secret. So he, Keep he it was safe. Literally like I don't know if I. Yeah, right. <laughs> but anyways, but what? But what you're saying, like I, I couldn't stress it more. I mean, we, I, if you, I, I really do think if you have like this kind of universalist attitude towards salvation, maybe, maybe you don't theologically believe that everyone's going to go to heaven, but you kind of have that attitude. All you'd have to do is spend some time in a CCD class, yeah. Um, because it's it really is it's eye opening how we we do not give we do not give children the ability to be saved. We do not give them the ability to be saved. Right? We don't give them the underpinnings of faith, which is the basic gospel message. You know, basic moral principles, these kinds of things. Yeah. Right? That that Christ saves us through, and it's. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really sad. Yeah. So my approach with the kids was, I, you know, we have 10 weeks total, maybe 11 to go through the big picture view. So basically I wrote the curriculum so that it starts with God as it should. Right. And ends with the right of confirmation. Right. Like first knowing it and then receiving it. And so I have to take a deeply sacramental worldview. And so we talk about, so the very next class is creator and creation and then Israel and then the incarnation, right? And the whole goal is to show how God moves in history through creation and so that it goes right into a sacramental, incarnational sacramental worldview. And the funny thing was, so I'm like, okay, why would they care about the sacraments? They don't know anything about their faith at all and they don't pray. How often do you pray? Never. The answer is never. They never pray. They have never opened a Bible. They have never read the Bible. They have never read the catechism. They don't know what that is. They don't know who the Pope is. And when they go to mass, it is probably once or twice a year. And we're going to give them confirmation? <laughs> he said question right. mark right like so when you're talking about giving children the ability to be saved my approach in this environment is what uh, you know we just i probably have spent three weeks so far just in genesis chapter one and the idea being right. uh i kind of take and this might annoy some of our listeners a pretty hardcore jordan peterson-esque approach to genesis which is essentially this is why these stories 
have been preserved. This is why they matter. This is why it's absolutely relevant for your life, like your day-to-day existence to know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you can't grasp that, then you are absolutely not going to get confirmed because you won't care. It doesn't make any sense. So I've been hitting that theme over and over again. It's been pretty, it's so disheartening. We, yeah, it is. We, we, so my big thing was for the teachers is, look, if a, if you were standing outside of a hospital and somebody walked up to you and said, a doctor just told me I have three minutes to live. Tell me what I need to know to be saved. <laughs> That that that's the way I want you to start every year off. Mm. Basically, is teaching them those basic things, you know. Um, and it did change over time uh, of just them like hammering the the, the first four weeks of f- no, really the first, in my opinion, the first semester, but probably the first four weeks is what you could get away with in CCD. I wanted it to be the same for every single class, kindergarten through eighth, right? They're going over the basics every single year, yeah, you know. And and that did start to change things a little bit. It did help, you know. But uh, you know, I it it is it's 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 a rough thing to to see what it's like. Um, and you know what's amazing is it, even when you have a fantastic teacher, even when you have a fantastic curriculum, if it's not supported in the home, yeah. it just it's it's done. You know, it's done. Yeah, and then then you find out the very true dictum of Christ. Uh, do you think I have come to bring peace? I have not come to bring peace, but the sword. I will divide a family of five, two against three, three against two. And you realize that sometimes when you have the most effective youth ministry, the most effective youth ministry is where parents are in lockstep with the kids. Ten times out yeah, of ten. Right. Now, if if you have parents who are like, or not lockstep with the kids, but lockstep with you, like, yes, we are here to teach and to preach and to evangelize. And I take my kids to mass every Sunday and we go to confession, you know, every two months or whatever it might be. Awesome. Those kids will nine times out of 10 excel. The next thing is almost like you're evangelizing against the parents, right? Like (laughs) it becomes an act of familial subversion and you're not allowed to do that. Like in a very real way, uh, legally archdiocesan policy wise, like you can't really, and even, even morally, it's it's stupid yeah, to, to yeah. try. Yeah, but to the do that. but the yeah, problem yeah. is if they're being sabotaged in the home, right? You yeah. you have to tread lightly because the family is the the first society. You're not there to replace the parent. You're there to supplement and support the parent. But if it's not at home, where else would it be? And so you do feel awful when you're trying to win a kid over for the gospel and you see it unraveling before their eyes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Um, like you can't sub you can't be subversive to the parents, but I I definitely at one point made a, a fundamental shift where I was like, yeah, I'm not going to work against the parents, but I'm not going to be dishonest anymore. Yeah. Where like to the point where like if you know if a, if a kid made could make it to you know six basketball practices a week in a game on Sunday, but they couldn't make it to mass, right? Like I I wouldn't sugarcoat yeah. it like that. You know I I would I would be very blunt about that. Yeah. So it, it's uh. Church church work is hard. I mean, it's there's no question. It is a mission field more than a mission field. Really, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it, at least if you're doing the missions that like we went on. Yeah. For for the most part, those people are great Christians. They're they're materially poor and yeah. and they're looking for something and they respond well. It's nothing like 
American parishes. Nothing like yeah, that. Yeah, I think the the missionary evangelization of the parish life becomes even more difficult because it's at, at least when you're evangelizing a foreign culture, it's you're the other. So there will like you're strange, you're exotic, you're something new, you might be something hostile to be opposed. But yeah. it's better than being taken for granted because you're not the other. You're like, yeah, I'm Catholic, whatever. What does that mean? I literally know nothing. And this guy keeps wanting to take away my weekends for retreats. But <laughs> but it is funny because like you you almost can't even get a hearing like you almost wish they were opposed to you. But they're so indifferent and apathetic that yeah. that it produces it doesn't produce a wall. It produces a chasm. And it's like, yeah. you can scale a wall, you just fall into a chasm, and that's what makes it so yeah. difficult. Oh, man. Yeah, now I don't even want to go to work the parents, <laughs> the parents were who were hard, like hardcore, you know, like philosophical, you know, I mean, th that they were into this, they were into that kind of thing. Those are the ones I love the most because we got into it, you know? Yeah. And they cared. Yeah. You know, they cared about it. Yeah. So, so my, my practical uh, remedies for the kids, number one is connect every doctrinal point specifically to a practical way of life, right? How does this affect your daily life? How does knowing right. that you're made in the image and likeness of God affect your daily life? Well, what does it look like for a culture when they worship a God who has made even my enemies in his image and likeness? That should change my attitude towards my enemies. That should literally change my attitude towards Becky in third period that I want to gut with a uh, you know paring knife. Right. So you have these things that like you, you can make it incredibly practical. The other thing was um, I always try to start class. I end all my classes with traditional prayers, right? It's because they need to learn them. But I start them yeah. always with me interceding in the power of the Holy Spirit for the kids right then and there. Like I a full blown charismatic prayer. Come Holy Spirit, like rain down on them right now. And I intercede for every one of them. And I think of their names in my head. I don't say all their names out loud, but um, that's how I begin every class. And then every single thing has the cross of Jesus Christ. And I've said this before, but you put the cross at the center of every one of your teachings because they need to understand why that symbol is in every classroom, why we have all this stuff, why the connections are made. Right. Um, and then my fourth point is, honestly, I want to see a a unified progression of topics. So every time we take a step forward to the next topic, I spend five my first five minutes. This is what day one was. This is what day two was. This is what day three was. Now we're on day four. This is how it connects. So let's go. Right. So I I want them to feel the the unified feel theory of Catholicism. That I think that's the hardest for CCD because you have them once a week, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I have them for one hour and, and once a week, and you know, like, well, one, well, they're they're allowed to miss one, so they, you know, the, you know, yeah. it's just it's the nightmare being being in CCD. Yep, 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 yep. Do you have any practical guidance for our good folks out there that are uh, uh, maybe either in the terms of disruptors or in the terms of like getting out of the box or or something like that? Linnea's question kind of set us off down this path of like, yikes, something drastically has got to change. And what we are as yeah. a church has like, we got to break free of the, of the box we keep putting ourselves in. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I, this is going to, I don't want to offend anyone, but you'd be amazed how many catechists have learned their faith from catechizing. And oh, I yeah. think that's problematic. So I would, so I would encourage, you know, if you're a catechist, if you're a DRE, uh, your catechists, your the people who are teaching, need to learn the faith and not learn 
the faith as it's taught by the We Believe program in third grade because I've been teaching it for the last 20 years or Ugh. something like that. Uh, like a catechist should be able to at any given moment pick up and teach any grade through eighth. I mean, some of the sexual morality stuff is tough for you know yeah. people, but yeah. but uh, as far as like you know dogma, they should be able to pick up and teach any grade at any point in time. Um, they should know their faith inside and out, which is I mean sounds obvious, but it's not. And then like what you were saying about focusing on traditional prayers, I always say that about like the Catholic lists, you know that like my it's not so much that I want the kids to memorize the Catholic list, but I want the teachers to know the important things, right? The creeds, the commandments, the the precepts, those kinds of things are important because it helps you weed out what's important and what's not important. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it right there. So ladies and gentlemen, this has been every niche show about your week of Catholic podcast on evangelization. As we continue to get frustrated over the world today, more to come next week. Uh, as we start to look at different aspects of what does what does an evangelist life look like and other things like that, um, we have a lot of questions that we're going to be answering. So I would encourage you all to send us an email, eksb at ascensionpress.com. That's eksb at ascensionpress.com. That goes not only to both me and David, our own emails, but also it goes to the fine folks at Ascension so that we can uh, coordinate and build shows for the future that are absolutely practical and relevant for y'all. I'm Gomer. Peace. And I'm Dave. God bless. 